Samuel chapter 18, and I want to just ask that you would be mindful of uh, our own sister Wilmore. Her sister passed this morning, and uh, Anthony, <coughs> our own brother Anthony Harris, his grandmother passed on last night. And while this is hard, the worst thing that could happen to somebody is that they leave here without the Lord. And I do believe that these are two people who have departed this place to be in his presence where there's joy forevermore. But we want to be sensitive to the need and let's reach out uh, by calling and praying for those who are grieving at this time. Now, turn your attention with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, a very familiar passage. And I would like for you to rest your eyes on verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, and at, as in other times, but there was no spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast a spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall but David escaped his presence twice. Father, we bless you and we thank you for what our ears have heard, what our hearts have felt. And God, we want you to be glorified in all that will be said and all that will, will, will happen through the preached word. We thank you and we bless you. In the name of Jesus, the church, and amen. 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 amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some years ago, while attending a Cheney State University, I heard from other men that stayed in the dorm that I lived in that a woman had been brutally murdered, raped, and buried behind the King's Hall, the Mel's dorm, reported that her body had been discovered and that the police were investigating, but they had no suspects. Although the entire campus was in an uproar, classes were not canceled. So students were furious and they began to protest, make signs, no justice, that's not new. <laughs> As a Christian leader, I felt compelled to speak out against and about how Christians should respond in light of this tragic event that had transpired on our campus grounds. And so for the first two periods of classes that I was in, I actually was given 
an open floor by my instructors to talk about the event that had taken place. Around about 12 in the afternoon, there was a memo sent out by the president of Cheney State University. And here's what it said. There is absolutely no truth to the alleged murder and rape of a young lady on the Cheney State University campus. Nobody was found, no body, no physical body, no person was found buried behind the men's dorm. It is a complete fabrication and rumor. I felt totally embarrassed because I had been given the floor to talk about this for two periods. The students were on the verge of total anarchy. They were going to tear the, the whole campus apart because of something they thought and I thought was true. How many of you know that thoughts can be very dangerous? destructive and, and even deadly. I don't know how many times I've laid awake at night physically exhausted but unable to sleep because of mental stress, rehearsing things in my mind, imagining the worst scenario, searching down Google until totally exhausted every resource that Google had to provide about any given topic that I was wrestling with in my mind. How many of you have ever done something for someone and you didn't know how they were going to take it, but you did it because you believed that the Lord told you to do it, and then they didn't respond? Then our minds kick in. They didn't like it. Overstep my bounds. Maybe they know something about me that I didn't. Your, your, your mind can just take you to places that are very unhealthy. And for the majority of the time, the things that we would think negatively about what could possibly happen and why something has not occurred is faulty thinking. And sometimes when your thoughts are negative and carnal, you can literally be so overpowered by that thought of worry or fear, or stress, that you, you literally are unable to function in the manner you can't talk right can't get your thoughts together, you, you're driving somewhere where you, 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 you know like the back of your hand, but you can't find it. And so when your thoughts are unhealthy and they have control, it's actually like being in a state of madness. But no matter how you yell and you pinch yourself and you tell yourself, uh, here we go again, and why am I experiencing this, and how can I stop it? The more you say it, the worse it seems to get because you can't break free. Am I talking to somebody here that have experienced that like myself? 
Turn to somebody and say, stop the madness. Stop it. Stop, stop the madness. Now, this is not just a struggle that women have. It's also something that we, as men, wrestle with as well. Now, as we turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 11, that verse that I wanted to highlight is verse 8. And he says, and it happened on that day that a distressing, a maddening spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside of the house. Now, while this is going on, he's in a state of mental instability, unpredictability, and violent potential rage, and we find he actually throws a spear, presses down on the accelerator, chasing people down on the highway, <laughs> cussing like nobody's business. How many of you know nobody have to teach you how to curse? You don't have, nobody ever have to give you any lessons on cussing. Doing evil comes natural. I'm, I'm, I'm an expert at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our flesh, we don't need no training. But try to learn John 3.16. <laughs> so I want to start with a, cl a clarification about what, I, when I'm, what I'm referencing when I talk about maddening thoughts that just put us in a place that we don't want to be, we're all tied up inside and, and, and just intense. I, I want to look at what this passage means when it said, what, what is meant when the Bible says that God caused a distressing spirit to come upon King Saul. Now, if you have the NIV version of the Bible, or other versions other than the new King James that we use here, the word for distressing is rendered evil, where it, where it actually reads, and God caused an evil spirit to come upon King Saul. Now, where this first originated in terms of God making a decision and putting into action the spirit that came upon Saul, is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. The Bible says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Now, some of the things that we need to understand to appreciate what is meant when the Bible makes reference to an evil spirit coming from God and being placed in Saul's life to torment him, is the Bible says that the spirit of God departed from King Saul. And if you study Old and New Testament, what you learn is that in the Old Testament, the spirit of God would, would, would come upon a person for feeling for anointing for service, you would be, and this was illustrated in a physical way where the prophet or priest would pour oil, which was a symbol of the Holy Spirit, 
and the oil cup being flowing upon someone's head was an evidence out externally that internally that God was empowering that person for service. So it was a temporary filling for service. It was an anointing that could come and go. So in the Old Testament, it is true that a person could have the Holy Spirit and lose it. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord had, had departed from Saul. And uh, we, we learn from the New Testament that the Spirit of God that Jesus promised in John 14, he says, and I will send you a comforter who will not only be with you, but he will be in you. And then the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So unlike the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you got filled for, for service. You got controlled and, and empowered to do a specific thing. But in the New Testament, when you press, place your trust in Christ, since the church started in Acts chapter 2, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes up residency in you, and it is never true that the Spirit will be taken or could be taken because you're sealed. And you're kept by the almighty and authoritative hand of God. So it was absolutely true that the spirit of the Lord that came upon Saul to accomplish the anointing as king was removed. Now, as you also study the scripture, you're going to discover there are no words for mental illness. You're not going to find schizophrenia, psychosis. You're not going to find hysteria. You're not going to find anxiety disorder. But there are words that are used to describe what we today have the developed terminology for. And so when the Bible makes reference, in this case, to a distressing spirit, it actually is referring to a mental illness, a condition that took control over Saul's mind that God not only allowed, but he caused. Now, sometimes that word, uh, distressing spirit, or, 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 or uh, uh, the, while the Bible doesn't have a word for mental illness, some terms that are used are words like insane, madness, confusion, the word vexed. And here's the word that is most often used in the Testament when, New Testament when it's talking about somebody who has mental issues. It literally means when you have a mental condition, it means to be out of your mind. We sometimes say, he crazy, she crazy. The elevator doesn't miss a few cars. You know, we, we, now, we're not trying to be sarcastic here, but the picture is this, that mental illness is not a new concept, but you're not going to find diagnostic terms in the Bible. But you will find examples of people that fit today's diagnostic terms, and one of those persons would have been Saul. Now, I found this really interesting that in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, when Jesus had been ministering, and now he's stepping on the toes of the religious leaders, and they want Jesus to be shut down, so they go to Jesus' family, and they literally say, your son is out of his mind, that he is mentally disturbed. He has had a breakdown. Now, listen to these verses. This really blew me away. It says in, in, in um, uh, verses 20 and 20, 21, 
It says, then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Jesus was so busy doing ministry, he didn't have time to eat. He wasn't taking care of his physical needs. That was a part of the explanation that was given to the mother of Jesus. Now, verse 21 says, but when his own people, his mother and his half-brothers, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. They literally were going to forcibly, what we would call an involuntary 302, when somebody has a mental breakdown and we had the police come and take them. This is, they went to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Jesus' own family didn't understand his ministry. But the point of the illustration is that they attributed Jesus' ministry and and lack of personal uh, interest in the temporal to mental illness. And so when a person had a mental illness in the Bible, New Testament, it was literally a case of being out of one's mind, to be out of control of your mind. I can't tell you of anything that would be more frightening than to not have control of your mental faculties. Where you don't know, where I, we, we deal with people all the time that don't know what a spoon is. And I'm talking about PhDs and people who ran multi-billion dollar corporations and uh, don't know how to put the spoon to their mouth and uh, can't recognize their family. And, 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 and so, I, so I want you to be clear on what we're talking about if you were going to look in the Bible, you're not going to find those terms, but you will find examples. Now, another clear example of mental illness in the Bible, remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? When he had this terrible dream, some of you said, mm-hmm. all right, if you don't know, it's in Daniel chapter 4. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful emperor of the world at that time, king of the Babylonian Empire, which was the world-leading empire. And he had this troubling dream, and the prophet Daniel went to him and said, let me explain the dream. God is the one who gives interpretation to the dream. He said, listen, just understand, everything that you have, the only reason you have it is because God allowed it. And as long as you stay humble, God doesn't have a problem with what he has entrusted to you. But the moment you forget how you got it, and so the scripture says, uh, regarding uh, 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 what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Are you still with me? It says uh, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, was walking on the palace roof, and he said, Oh, great Babylon, look what I've done. And the scripture says, while the words were still on his tongue, that what Daniel prophesied, he said, You will live in the woods like a wild beast for seven years, You will grow claws like eagles. You'll have hair that makes you look like a wild animal. You will eat what animals eat. And when you recognize that God is God, then God will restore your senses and your kingdom will be restored. And that is exactly what happened. He was mentally ill for seven years. And we've seen some of this even in our own experience where people that we know have had mental breakdowns and they have, like Nebuchadnezzar, not necessarily for the same reason. But let's, let's run on. And so we also need to understand that when the Bible, in, these, in the different versions, says that an evil spirit, we, we know that God does nothing that is associated with evil. The Bible says God is light, and in him dwells no darkness. 
no darkness at all. So because there aren't Old Testament words for mental illness, the, when it talks about the evil spirit, it really has reference to this mental condition, and it should be, it should be thought of as dis, a distressing spirit. Here's what's deep about it. It, it. One of the reasons why, aside from the fact of who God is, in terms of why he would never put an evil, anything evil on us, because he can't, he's not associated with evil. But the Bible says, while Saul was out of his mind, he was at, he was at the same time prophesying. So the spirit was at work. Two spirits were at work. He was in, in a state of mental madness while at the same time trying to minister through prophecy. Now stay with me. We're going somewhere with that. Now the question is, uh, I, I, I want to, let me stick with this. The spirit here describes it a mental illness is paranoia. In, in terms of how it affects us in our daily walk, we're talking about stress, Anxiety, anybody ever experienced that? Insecurity. And in this case, in Saul's case, it is expressed through rage and impulsive outbursts. And so when you're, when you're out of your mind, in this case, I believe that he had, par he had paranoid schizophrenia. He was, it's like you're there, but you're somewhere else. And the person that is acting, even though it's literally Saul, the mental illness is now in control. And when the mental illness is in control, and that, at that point, he is actually incapacitated. That's why somebody can murder someone, go and shoot 21 people, and never spend a day in jail. Because at the time they committed the crime, they were mentally incapacitated. And so, anybody can say they're mentally incapacitated. See, the difference between mental and physical illness, if somebody walked in here, and, and uh, if a lady was distinctly pregnant, and this is one of the things that uh, they often would do with men. To help men to understand what women go through pregnancy, they'd have a man put on the, the, a, a, some kind of special apparatus that, uh, that Im imitated pregnancy, and then the man could feel how heavy that would be, carrying around how awkward, et cetera. Now, the physical illnesses are obvious. Blindness, he's blind, clearly, he can't see. But when somebody is mentally ill, he could be sitting right next to them and not know that they're thinking about going home and taking their life. Are they been popping pills or whatever it is to, to feel better or, or taking drugs? Now, we need to be very careful to understand why God allows that to occur. In this case, Saul had disobeyed God. So sometimes mental illness, which can be chronic, chronic or temporal, sometimes it's some people go to their graves with different types of mental illness. Sometimes God will deliver somebody who is mentally ill. Other times he won't. He doesn't always do it. But what, what, what we need to understand is sometimes the reason why there is mental illness is because of sin. Saul disobeyed God, and as a consequence of his sin, God caused a distressing spirit to come on him. The scripture talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, in verse 30 says, For this reason some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you are asleep. That word weak has to do with mental instability. That as a consequence of dishonoring the Lord's table, as a consequence of believers not living in the manner in which we should, God will remove the hedge from around our minds and allow mental illness and thought, have, have our thought life to torment us that we are in mental pain 
about things that often should not even be an issue, but we can't seem to shake them. God says, I chasten those who I love. When he loves us, sometimes the way he chastens us will allow a spirit of mental instability to come upon us. Stay with me. I'm getting somewhere. Now, how should we respond? Because today I'm not talking about chronic mental illness where people are seeing therapists, medicated by psychiatrists, have a, a DMS-5 or 7, uh, elder grade, whatever the number is now, the diagnosis. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about everyday stuff that make us not want to get out of bed to go to work. I'm talking about you in a regular conversation. The next thing you know, you're ready to pull out a knife to cut somebody, kill them, and you don't even know why. People have to calm you down, sit you down, walk you away. And I ain't talking about your Popeye's chicken situation. You know, you got your sandwich, somebody jumped in front of you. That's mental illness. You're going to kill somebody for a ch chicken sandwich. I believe what we're dealing with in the White House is mental illness. Now, how should you think about mental illness as a Christian? First of all, all mental illness is not the result of personal sin. Everybody that is mentally ill is not in sin or committed to sin, and God's not judging them for it. All Christians can and do experience tormenting, oppressing thoughts from time to time. Uh, some, as I've already said that Elijah, Moses, Jonah, uh, even Jesus, when he was in the garden, the Bible said he was despondent even to the point of death. Paul says that we are, he talks about this, how we, are, how we are cast down but never forsaken. And he's talking about almost to the place of giving up hope. Those, that's that's a, a, a spirit of depression. And so none of us are exempt from these experiences. All Christians are susceptible to mental illness because of our mutual humanity. Because we are in a sin-cursed world and we inherited Adam's sin nature, Mental illness can visit our family. And one of the ca main causes of mental illness today is not hereditary transmission. It's the abuse of drugs. Yeah. Most people that I dealt with when I was working in mental health institutions were there because of abusing drugs. And once the damage from the drugs were done, their minds, things were just like people say, well, marijuana is fine. Well, memory cells are erased and never replaced. Some things regenerate, some other, other, other brain cells do not. And so that's when alcohol and, 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 and marijuana and things of that nature, we should not be fooling with because of the potential danger, if, dangerous effect on our minds. But in any case, we are all sus, uh, susceptible. Say somebody, say susceptible. susceptible. Now here's the thing that as we, as we kind of jump into this, I wanted to, to make clear what mental, what, what mental illness is and why we don't find those terms in the Bible, is that you can have a distressful spirit while at the same time be very involved in using your spiritual gift and blessing others while you're going home totally depressed, while you're going home strung out in anxiety and fear, self-doubt. Saul was prophesying while he was tormented. I remember I sing a quartet group. We have these large audience. We'd be one of the groups, and we'd be like on the last part of the program. And as I'm sitting there, 
I would always fear, I'm, I'm not going to have a voice. I'm not going to have a voice. I'm not going to have a voice. So I would get up five, five times or so, go into the bathroom, re-singing the song, re-singing the song, re-singing, and then get up there and we do a great job. But nobody knew that while I was singing, I was terrified. Some people come to church or avoid church because they have, they have, they have, they're agoraphobic, terrified of being in a crowd like this. Our people are here right now. We don't want anybody not to like us. So when people say, how are we doing? We always say, yeah, I'm doing fine. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time. And really inside, you're falling apart. But unfortunately, in the church, we become the church of pretenders and perpetrators and, and, and plastic. We, we give the appearance. We have the outward appearance of God. And it's not that we're actually living in sin or anything like that. We just don't feel the freedom, to be honest. But the Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when we confess our sins one to another, when we confess our issues one to another, the Bible says then you will be healed. The devil doesn't want you to ever get to a place where you are surrounded by believers who are so at peace and in their completeness in Christ that you can genuinely be struggling and say, I'm having a hard time. I can't stop crying. I can't stop worrying. I feel so lonely when I go home. The phone never rings. I never get any mail except for bills. You're going to get a bill now. Loneliness can incapacitate you. You don't want to do anything. So mental illness is not always you got to take a pill for it. Whatever incapacitates you in a way that you are unable to function to do your your normal responsibilities. Mentally, that at that time, that is a state you it's like you can get a cold, you can get a mental illness. It's not always permanent. And so it's highly possible for you to be smiling at me right now, the best of physical shape that you've ever been, while at the same time you feel horrible about yourself. Saul was prophesying while at the same time tormented by a distressing spirit. I heard this said, and I, it, just, it, it penetrated me because too many pastors are in the pulpit preaching to get healed instead of preaching from healing. And what that means is I'm not going to ever be able to stand in this pulpit and say, I got it all together, because that's not true. But I need to be getting it together. I'm not trying fall, falling into healing. I, I, whatever it takes to be healed as a shepherd feeding the flock, I need to be getting that type of support too. Too often we're in ministry and we're doing great things, but the truth be told, we're frightened. We don't believe in ourselves. And sometimes though the, the, the most people that we look at and admire the most are the ones who are the great, have the greatest insecurities. That's why they have to be in control. Somebody say amen. And so now we, we've got some clarification on, on what we talk about mental illness. There are no terms in the Bible that you're going to find. We see clear examples. Even Jesus' family thought he was crazy. And here's some characteristics of a tormented thought life. Here's what this your a thought life that is tormented, that is oppressed, that is filled with stress and anxiety. Here's what that looks like. And I want you, when you get a chance, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 19, when God gives the prophet Samuel instructions to anoint the first king, and when he sees Saul, 
the Holy Spirit audibly speaks to Samuel the prophet and says, he is the, the anointed that God has selected. And so it was God who informed Samuel, and Samuel informed Saul. And when Saul, the question was asked by Saul, is there a seer in the city? Is there a prophet? Is there a priest? Is there a visionary? Because Saul, had, something had been lost, a, goat, a donkey's had been lost, and his father had sent him on a mission to find some of his livestock, to find some of his inventory. And, and, and while he thought he was looking for his father's inventory, God was really setting up circumstances so that he would end up colliding with the prophet. Now, what happens is when you don't think right about yourself, when you have tormenting thoughts, you will maximize the value of others, often to the extreme, often to the extreme. Saul had no trouble when Samuel said, he said, who is the prophet? Who is the seer? And Samuel said, I'm the, I'm the prophet. I'm the seer. And the response of Saul was, appro was appropriate in the sense that he acknowledged the position and the authority that God had given to Samuel. He recognized that. Well, people who have inferiority complexes, they can look at other people's successes. And, and it, oh, they, 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 wow, how great that is and how exciting that is. But when they look at their own, stay with me, stay with me. Let me give you another example of this. In, 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 in Numbers chapter 12, verses 32 through 33, the Bible says that the 12 spies were sent out by Moses for 40 days. They come back. Ten of them give, the Bible says, a bad report, a bad report. And they said they're Nephilim, they're giants in the land, they're, they, they're, they're warriors in the land, they, they kill uh, 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 people mercilessly, and then they devour them, they even eat who they kill. And he says, and then it says at the end of verse 33, there, were, there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from, who came from giants, and we were like grasshoppers. And so while people who have inferiority, tormented thinking, maximize the successes and the value of others, what God accomplishes through you, you minimize. They said, when we looked at them compared to us, we looked like... I want you to know a lot of people come to church, and you may think they're giant, but inwardly they see themselves as grasshoppers. So tormented thinking that is... That is that is often displayed through inferiority will maximize the value of others while minimizing their own value. When Samuel said, you are the new king, and what, what the, the first thing that Saul says, wait a minute, who am I? He says, am I not the Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes, and my family the least of the families? Now, not only talking bad about himself, talking bad about his family and his old, all, every generation in his family. We're the least. We're the smallest. Who am I? God didn't disagree that he wasn't worthy no more than we are. But God had made a choice. How do you see yourself when you look through the eyes that have been tainted and, 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 and formed by the things that you've heard about yourself and the experiences that you've had? They, you maximize the value of others, minimizing their own. They misunderstand people who, are, who have tormented thinking. And Saul is a pit, he's a profile, perfect profile of somebody who just never could just let his mind think right. Misunderstand the move, the move of that, the move of God is not something that we earn or deserve. Watch this. So 
Samuel, the prophet, says to Saul, you will dine with me tonight. And Saul said, okay, I'll do what you tell me. And then when Saul and, and his, his, his partner arrive, it's a banquet. And Samuel moves Saul to the seat of honor. He puts him at the head of the table. Now, Saul doesn't know anybody around that table. He didn't earn the right to be at the head of the table. He didn't deserve the right, but God chose him. Sometimes what twists us, up, twists us up in terms of how we think so bad about ourselves, we think the way, where we are and who we ultimately are going to be is based on us. The move of God, God, God exalts. God abases. He placed Saul at the head of the table. And when we understand, if you end up at the head of the table, it's not because you're so smart or because you're so uh, impressive. It, 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 what God decided, it. and when God decides to move you there, we just need to understand that it's his decision. If we could just get that, I, I, I wish I could explain it better. If you understand, God is moving in everyone's life, and what is for you is for you, and what is for me is for me. When he decides to move, and when I rest in the fact that the movement of God will determine my place at the table, I don't have to, I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to impress for it. I just need to be ready when God decides to put me in the seat of honor. And here's what you need to know about the seat of honor. Wherever God puts you, that's the seat of honor. <laughs> because it's at his table. It's at his table. It's at his table. So when I'm wrestling and tormenting my thoughts, I, I, I'm, I, I'm taking the place of the Holy Spirit and trying to decide on, on what's significant and what isn't and, and why don't they think this way and why doesn't... No, 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 no. When God decides... Oh, that'll take a lot of pressure off you, a lot of stress off you. Here's another thing of interest. People who struggle in their thought life, when they do something, when you finally move past your anxiety and stress, when you finally get around to getting to what you're getting to, what tends to motivate those people is what God says through others to them rather than them learning how to hear from God for themselves. Watch this. The prophet said, when you get a chance, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 20, verse 27, and then 8, chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. The prophet says, come with me, Saul, and I will await to hear from God, and when I hear from God, I will give you a message from God. And so the message for Saul came through the prophet as he waited, and God provided the message. And here's what's deep. When you study the life of Saul, there's only one time in his entire 40 years as a king do you ever read, I think you I see, I see him praying one time. But even in his prayer, he's casting lots, the Urim and the Thummim, and, and whoever the Urim and Thummim fell on, because he fell on his son, uh, uh, Jonathan, now he's afraid because Jonathan got to die. So he asked God, should he die? And because it fell, and God didn't speak to him. The Urim fell on his son, and so he was prepared to kill Jonathan. And that's one of the things that when your mind is tormented, you don't, your decisions are horrible. You're going to kill your son for some, some silly, impulsive decision that Saul the king made? Well, you got to read the story. And so he, 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 you don't read where he's hearing from God. 
And so I'm asking people all the time now. Oh, I used to love it when people would do what I said. I'm passionate. Yeah, yeah, I'm All right. But you might get mad at me. You might start to see I got more faults than you thought I had. Pastor's out of his, no, don't, no, I'm going to have those moments. But when you hear from the Lord for yourself, when you go before the Lord and pray and ask him for direction, I'm asking people all the time, what is God saying to you? What is God? He doesn't only speak to the pastor, he speaks to you as well. You belong to him. But folks that don't think right, who are tormented in their thought life, are waiting for a word from the prophet, waiting for the bishop, waiting for the apostle. No, you better wait for the Holy Spirit to tell you. Now, here, notice what the prophet's message was to this young man before an evil spirit came upon him, or before a distressing spirit came upon him. He already was struggling with inferiority, a bad self-image, we would say. Here's what the prophet says in verses 1 and 2. He says, go to Rachel's tomb in chapter 10. And the, and, uh, uh, and, and the status of the donkeys were, uh, uh, and he tells her, go to uh, Rachel's tomb. He says, when you get there, you're going to discover that the, that the donkeys you're looking for have already been found. They've already been found. But Rachel's tomb, Rachel was uh, uh, one of the patriarchs' lost wife. And so what the prophet is saying is that before you can go forward, you got to deal with your past. Go to Rachel's tomb. Before you can move into a healthy relationship, before you are ready for marriage, before you are ready for that job promotion, before you are ready for God to elevate you in your spiritual wall, you've got to deal with your past thinking. You've got to deal with it. You've got to go to Rachel's well. Rachel's well. You've got to deal with your past. Oh, I want to talk about the way I was raised. You better. It got you out of your mind right now. Well, I don't want to tell you what she did and what I did. Well, the reason we're going to talk about it is not to judge you, but the Bible says these things were written in, from historically in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, so that we can learn as an admonition. So we look back to learn. Not to judge, but to learn. So in order to get your mind right, you got to deal with what caused your mind to be wrong. Who filled the motherboard of your mind? What are those thoughts that you heard? Not only you got to deal with the past, you also need to depend on God, deal with your past, depend on God to pry for the present. He said, now, once you go to Rachel's well and you hear that the donkeys that you're looking for have been returned to your father, and you've done that, you've dealt with the past, now you can depend on God for the present. He said, someone's going to come to you, and they're going to give you three loaves of bread, take it from them. Not only God is concerned about your past mental state and how you got to where you are, but he wants you to depend on him in the present. He will provide for you what's needed. Because, see, what happens is you can put off stuff that you put positive thinking, listen to Joel Steen for a week or two, and thinking all his sermons, but if you don't replace it with something in the present, he said, the Lord, you're going to be provided. You're going to be provided with substance. So I need to depend on God. When my mind is trying to take control and, and, and weigh me down, I need to trust that the Lord will provide what I need in the present. 
also determined to do whatever it takes to become a worshiper for the future. He says, once you've taken care of the past and you're depending on me for the present, I'm going to meet your needs no matter what happened to you in the past. He says, but you now go past the provision and you're going to have to go through some obstacles. The, the Philistines have a garrison. But on the other side of the garrison, there's some prophets who are worshiping. But to get to where the prophets are, you're going to have to go through some obstacles. And when you get to where the prophets are worshiping, what's going to happen, as it did happen, you will experience an overflow of the Spirit of God. And then when the overflow of the Spirit of God comes, because you've dealt with your past and your present, then the future is that now all the things that God said would happen. God gave him a new heart. The Spirit of God was on him. He prophesied. God gave him Spirit of God. Here's my point is this. Sometimes the reason why we're so bogged down is because we are so internalizing our thoughts and everything evolves around us. But when you make God the, 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 the center of your attention, when you turn your attention to praise, and praise, the obstacle is not the garrison of the Philistine. The obstacle is your thought life. you got to press past your thought life and give God the sacrifice of praise. And as I'm giving God the sacrifice of praise, there will be an overflow of the Spirit. And when the overflow of the Spirit overflows me, then I'll have an opportunity. And the Bible says, and then this prophet says, when the whole of the Spirit comes, do whatever you need to do. There's some things that you'll never be able to do until you get this right. A part of that's going to be praise. A part of that's going to learn how to be satisfied with what God has given you in the present. A part of it is going to do with understanding that what didn't destroy you in the past, God used it to make you who you are in the present. Let me, let, me, let me hurry on. Let me give some consequences as we shut this down. When a distressing spirit, oppressing spirit, a tormenting thought life about how we look, our weight, our, our mental capacities, our finances, uh, am I ever going to get married, uh, whatever you struggle with, here's some consequences. When those thoughts are in control, you will be paralyzed by fear of rejection. Saul did, he had, a he had a monument built for himself, and he actually did what the people said above, over and above what God said. You will fear people so much that you will just go along with things that God never told you to do. And so one, you'll, you'll be controlled by a spirit of fear. Uh, you will also, uh, there'll be failure to experience total victory. There's some things that you shouldn't be dealing with right now in your life. But when, when your mind is controlled by emotion and you're tormented, you're going to go wherever those, you're jumping all over the place instead of completely dealing with the priorities of life. You're distressed by the minutiae of life. You're caught up on pettiness. And while you're caught up on pettiness, what really matters is passing you by and going undone. In the victories that you should be experienced in those areas, you fail. And then you look back on the opportunities that were there because the overflow of the Spirit came. You find that you missed those opportunities because of your thought life. Failure to experience total victory. Faulty thinking. When Saul heard the women singing about David, Killing 10,000. I know David didn't kill 10,000. And Saul, sure, didn't say Saul killed anybody. 
But he said, when he heard that, he was, the Bible said he was very angry and displeased. And from that day on, he thought that David wanted his kingdom. When you are controlled by a distressing spirit that manifests itself through outbursts, through, uh, through uh, perversion, through impulsive decisions, through bad habits, what's going to happen, you, you, you make, you conclu- your conclusions are going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong. David wasn't thinking about his kingdom. Not at all. People weren't looking at the size of your feet. That's you thinking, they must be looking at my feet. Or they must know I didn't have any earrings on. Nobody cares that you had no earrings on today. I know I didn't. So we're focusing on things that, that whatever we feel that is our, whatever our weaknesses are, that's what we concentrate on. And then when we, when we interpret people's responses to us, we're viewing them from the perspective of our, our negative thinking. You're going to be frustrated from tormented thinking. So let me, frustration, that is, you're just tired. Anybody sick and tired of thinking bad and, and acting out and saying things that you shouldn't have said and doing things that you, you regret and feel guilty about? That's what happens when tormented spirits occur. Let me, let me just share some, some, uh, some things that will help you. How do you overcome that, that type of thought? Like, first of all, focus on what matters. What matters? What matters? Well, if they had spoken, now you're going to let that wreck your whole day? Somebody didn't speak to you? You didn't get that promotion. God knew if you got it. Some people don't need to make extra money. Mm, mm, they can't handle it. Mm, some people need to stay broke. Yes, trust me. Moses was in the wilderness. He was a prince. He should have been a millionaire, but he stayed in the wilderness for 40 years because it took that long for God to humble him. So the best thing that happened to Moses was not that he was rich in the palace, but that he was broke in the desert. God taught him dependence. Fellowship with spirit-filled believers. Who are you surrounding yourself with? We like to be around people just like us. No, sometimes the people just like us will keep us like we are. Feed your mind with the word of God. I, you listen to your rap, listen to your music, well, listen to this and your YouTube, et cetera. Go online. How much time are you spending in the word? How much time do you spend in the Bible and listening to gospel music that is healthy? Feed your mind with the word of God. Find time for self-care. You need to do something for yourself. The Bible says love others as your. You can't really love anybody if you don't love yourself. I ain't talking about do you. I don't care about nobody else. I'm not talking about that. (laughs) Forgive yourself and others. Forgive yourself and others. People who struggle in their mind often are perfectionists. And again, we're maximizing the value of others, and we keep trying to get there and want to be accepted and a part of. And then when you get to climb that ladder that finally puts you in that category, the ladder, they move the building. (laughs) And so you need to learn how to feel right about yourself by doing things. You also need to forgive yourself and forgive others. I think a lot of the stuff that we struggle with in our minds goes back to we haven't forgiven somebody. And finally... Frequently praise God. Frequently 
Are you a person? Stand up with me. Do you need to go to come to church to praise God? Uh, do you need? I, I love Don Trey and 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 the praise and worship team and, and Brother Warren. I love them. But I see them on Sunday. Do you know how to get in the presence of the Lord during the week? Do you know how to do that? And when you put make it about Him and not yourself or others, all of a sudden you don't. Your mind is just uncluttered. Praise has a way of uncluttering your mind. Let me just close with this, and I've shared this before. A pilot was making his way to a destination that he was assigned to to fly to, and as he was flying, it was about an hour into the flight that he began to hear some gnawing. What he discovered is that some rats had somehow gotten into the plane, and they were eating away at the wiring in the plane under the panel. And so while they're eating, these rats or however, he didn't know how many it was, but you could just hear the gnawing. And you know that if they eat through the electric, the plane is going down. And so he's just tormented. He's afraid. He's confused. What am I going to do? Oh, my God. He's too far away to return to, 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 to land the plane where he left. And he's not close enough to, 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 to take the risk that the, the plane is not going to crash if he keeps flying. So he's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure it out. And then the thought came to him. Somebody had said, rats can't stand height. So what he did, he began to elevate the plane. And the higher he elevated, the the quieter the the rodents were. And before long, he didn't hear them anymore. So what I want you to understand is, just like in that plane, where you can stress about the wiring and what you don't have and what you should have and why am I here and why they don't like why. What you need to do is elevate above, elevate, think on those things that are above. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Elevate above. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You will what? Mount up with the wings of eagles. It's time to soar. Stop listening to what's gnawing on the inside that doesn't bring you closer to God. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise. 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 Stop the madness. Rise. 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 You don't have to be dominated by negative thinking. You don't have to say everything that comes in your mind. You don't have to do everything that everybody tells you to do. Stop the madness. Stop it. Somebody say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. With every head bowed.